The Big Failure After my trip to Bali, I was very clear on what was most important to me, community. I was all about community. Mostly due to the fact that I felt very alone. I craved community. I was desperate for like-minded people. During meditation, I would see myself surrounded by other people. We were all sitting around a table sharing ideas and working. Yet I knew it wasn't a team that was working for me, but alongside me. It kept coming up. I had no idea what it meant, but it felt good. An idea landed. I didn't have words around it at that point, other than it was kind of like a shared office, a place where other local entrepreneurs could come together and work side by side, collaborate and share ideas, be part of a thriving community of like-minded business owners, people who got it. Along with the idea came a name, The Office Collective. I was so fucking excited by this idea. I could see it. I could hear it. I could feel it. I could taste it. It was so alive inside of me and was busting to be brought to life. This might seem very naive of me, especially now that co-working is a pretty commonly understood concept, but back then, in 2012, I had never heard of it. I thought this idea was some kind of crazy gift handed down to me that I was a fucking genius, a chosen one, that I was going to change the way work-from-home business owners worked, that I was going to change the world. I soon discovered co-working was actually a thing, and it had been happening in the States for over a decade. I was a bit miffed, and maybe even momentarily considered dumping the idea because it hadn't been my idea. Have you ever done that? Had an idea that seemed so amazing and shared it with a friend, only to have them tell you that you weren't the first? Oh, you mean like blah blah does with their blah blah? Bam! Ouch! Straight through the heart. Before this idea, I would have walked away. Oh well, it's been done before, it clearly wasn't for me. It's easy to do, right? Get disheartened wonder why we'd bother if someone else is doing it, and tell ourselves they'd probably do a better job anyway. Not this time. I'd heard the call and I was fucking answering it. I mapped out all my ideas. Then I got researching. What was happening in other spaces? Where were the co-working spaces in Australia? Were there any? Turns out co-working is part of the collaborative consumption movement, which means it's very open and the people within it are very keen to share. This was great while setting up. I had loads of resources at my fingertips. What had worked in spaces and what hadn't. There were templates available for all kinds of things, membership forms, agreements, all free and readily available. This felt so good to be part of something that was so open and keen to share, a fabulous industry and one I was very excited to be a part of. Openness and honesty are two values I hold dear and this industry seemed to be foundational in both. Very exciting for me. I wondered if I should take on a business partner. I mean, I was starting this place because I was lonely and wanted community. Did I want to do that on my own? Was there anyone who I thought could be a good fit? Someone who has strengths where my weaknesses were. A friend came to mind and she could really use a break. I'm not going to say much about the business partnership here. This is not her story. It's mine. I can't tell you how she felt through the whole process. Only my perspective. And I love that bitch to bits, so I won't say a bad word about her. Even though at times it got bad. I will openly say that I took her on for the wrong reasons namely because I thought it might help her. She'd had a really fucking rough trot and I could see so much potential in her. 
I wanted her along for the ride, for what it could potentially bring to her life. She was deserving of so much more, and I felt it my duty to make it happen for her. I went to her with a proposal of what I thought it would look like, and she said she wanted in. Looking back, I'm not sure if I steamrolled her into it or if she was genuinely excited and swept up in the moment. Regardless, she said yes. We had a lawyer draw up a partnership agreement, and off we went, like a bull in a china shop. Over the next few months, it's fair to say I was driving this vehicle, and I pretty much dragged my now official business partner along for the ride. Not one to take my time, I dove right in. I mapped out packages and came up with a vision as to what the space would look and feel like. Before the ink had dried on my mind map, I was online looking for a space to rent. I found what appeared to be the perfect place. Three downstairs offices, a small kitchen, a bathroom with a shower for those who want to come straight from the surf to work, and a chandelier, and three big open plan spaces. Nice, light and bright. It looked perfect. I rang the agent and booked a time to inspect. Immediately, I had reservations. When I arrived, it was actually at the back of a small block of industrial units, most of which were occupied by people living and working in the units. Looked like a bit of a dumpster. Old rusty bikes, overflowing bins, a washing line, some old rags, a broken barbecue, crates, and so on. But that was the outside. Once inside, it was pretty good. Big, open, bright, had a great feel. Maybe not ideal, but definitely the best I'd seen. Keeping in mind, this was the first space I looked at. I figured I could get the other tenants to clean up, and if our place looked the part, it might not matter anyway. The price of rent was a concern that I quickly brushed aside. I thought perhaps I could negotiate with the owners on that side of things. Felt a little overpriced for what it was. My gut was on alert, but my stubbornness and determination bulldozed. The agent saw me coming a mile off. I'm not good at games. What you see is what you get. I struggle to hide the way I'm feeling. The agent knew I was putty in their hands. They pulled out all the tricks. Oh, I have another couple of inspections today, so if you want it, you'd better move fast. (sighs) Right, quick. What if someone else gets in before me? Good spaces like this are hard to find, and there's not much on the market right now. Without much thought as to what locking myself into a commercial lease might actually mean, I signed the paperwork. At this point, I want to raise the red flag and share my first lesson on how not to start a project. Never act purely from fear. This decision was based almost entirely on fear, based entirely in scarcity, FOMO, big time. I was so afraid of missing out on this opportunity that I felt I had to act very quickly. The lease and the idea, quick, get a place open before someone else starts their co-working space first, first in, first served and all that jazz. Before I could even say, fuck, what am I doing? I was locked into a three-year commercial lease and was out shopping for furniture to bring my vision to life. I'd always had a love of secondhand furniture, especially retro mid-century design, and I wanted to ensure the place was as sustainable as possible. So I hit up eBay, found some truly incredible stuff, and the place really started to take shape. It was amazing, if I do say so myself, and I do. I'd thought of everything, down to the fair trade tea and coffee. This place was going to rock. We opened the doors a few short weeks later. Crickets. Oh yeah, we probably need to let people know we're here. Now, this is the painful part of it, the part where I have to admit I didn't do all that I could. 
the part where I recognised that I had some pretty big blocks around being seen, the part where I have to take ownership of all that I didn't do. Hold up. I think it's important for me to take another step back and honour all that I did do, and I did a lot, just maybe not enough. Maybe I allowed my ego and self-doubt to get in the way of going all in. Although I did plenty, there was plenty I didn't do due to fear. I wrote press releases and sent them out. Crickets. The newspaper wasn't interested unless we paid for an ad. If we're not for profit, sure. But as we're a business, no. We did up flyers and had the post office put them in all the PO boxes in the local towns. Crickets. I joined the board of the local Chamber of Commerce, then hosted an event in our space. Sadly, it was just before Christmas and a handful of people showed up. They were all excited about the concept, but... Crickets. By Christmas, we'd been open for around six months. We had maybe three members. Outgoings around $4,000 a month. Incomings roughly 240 And it was holiday season. We held on for grim life. It's fair to say I'd started to lose faith. See, I'd had this belief that when you build it, they will come. But I very quickly and abruptly discovered that that was total and utter bullshit. If you set up a big party and you don't send out invites, will anyone show? Very unlikely, maybe one, randomly. We were up against one major hurdle which we hadn't really considered prior. Education. People had no fucking idea what co-working was and they were sceptical. I mean, why would they want to come to some place to work where they could potentially be distracted all day? And what about the lack of privacy? How could they take client calls? What if other people could hear what they were talking about? And why would they pay to work somewhere else when they pay such exorbitant rent or mortgage payments on their homes? We tried open days where people could drop in and spend a few hours testing it out. Crickets. We tried free Friday lunches where the community could drop in for a chat and a free feed. Crickets. We bit the bullet and paid for advertising in the local paper. Crickets. We sponsored local events. Crickets. Everything we tried got very little traction. Every day we got more and more desperate. We tried everything and anything. The stress really started to get to me. I'm not sure when it was that I passed the point of no return, but it was probably sometime around Christmas. I remember visiting my family in Victoria and my brother pulling me aside to ask if I was okay. He told me it felt like I'd slipped back into a depression, and he was right. I couldn't believe I'd allow myself to get back there. I had the tools, I knew the signs, but here was the black dog back for another visit. Every day I cried, every single day. I felt so low. If someone even looked at me sideways, tears would well up. I was trying everything, but nothing was working. It was the biggest shit spiral I'd ever been on. It felt like rock bottom. But then, wait, oh no, this must be rock bottom. Oh wait, no, this is rock bottom? Oh wait, surely it couldn't get any worse. Then something really tragic happened in my business partner's life. It's super personal and not something I'm willing to disclose, but it's fair to say that it was devastating. Too much for anyone to handle, even without the added pressure of running a failing business. I couldn't morally keep her to our agreement and I let her off. This was my train anyway. I was driving it and she'd been along for the ride, but it was time to set her free to deal with her own personal train wreck. This left me in a pretty shitty situation. While I had footed the bulk of our opening and running costs, my partner and I were going halves on the rent. 
Without her financial help, I was really up shit creek. I struggled on, alone, stressed to the hilt, depressed as all fuck, crying every day. Months dragged by. It's important to mention that at this point in time, Miko was working on the highway, work that did pay quite well, but it was very much weather dependent. And as luck would have it, we were smack bang in the middle of a La Nina event, which meant that pretty much it rained for six months straight, which meant no work for Miko. Oh, and yeah, we also had our house in Nambucca, which was now sadly worth less than what we had purchased it for four years prior. And on top of that, we were paying rent for the house in the Byron hinterland that we were living in. Every cent that was coming in from my voiceover agency was being siphoned directly into the failing business. Or the part of the mortgage that wasn't covered by our tenants. Or the rent on our house. Or the food we put into our stomachs. There was not a cent to spare. I'm not even sure how we managed, and perhaps we didn't manage very well, but we did keep our heads just out of water. Maybe not our mouths, but just lapping beneath our nostrils. Only there was one area I fell behind in. My beloved Australian tax office. I owed them $16,000, and I had not a cent. I did everything I could to avoid them. I stopped checking the mailbox. I stopped answering the phone. I hid. I buried my head in the sand and I went into full avoidance mode. Each night, I would lie in bed stressed. I would cry myself to sleep, that is, if I did fall asleep. Most nights, I was awake with my mind going round and round and round and round in circles. I felt completely powerless, a failure of the highest order, completely fucking useless. Each day I would sit in this beautiful, completely empty office from nine to five every day, stuck in this place that reminded me of what a fuck up I was, how I'd cost myself and Miko everything we had, how another one of my harebrained schemes was costing me everything. I knew I was stuck, but I couldn't get out. I was too afraid to leave the office in case I missed an opportunity. So all day I sat there waiting The odd person would come in and ask if we were an office supply shop or for directions somewhere or to ask me to photocopy something for them. And very, very rarely, someone would drop by to check out the space. But I was so desperate there was no way they would ever sign up. I was a total pessimist and a few times I even cried while showing someone around. Great vibe. One such day, I was sitting upstairs looking for answers, looking for a saviour, looking for someone to fix all my problems, and I stumbled across Marie Forleo. Marie, if you haven't heard of her, is an online entrepreneur who teaches people how to start an online business through an e-course called B-School. The doors were closing that day. I'd never heard of Marie before, but man, she looked the goods, the hair, the sass, the carefully crafted, super schmick sales page. This woman, this woman could save me. Somehow I managed to scrounge together 500 US dollars. This was a time when the Australian dollars and US were pretty much dollar for dollar. I signed up for a four-part payment plan and felt some glimmer of hope. Maybe this was the thing. And in a roundabout way, it was. Now, of course, there is no saviour. And Marie certainly wasn't mine. But the effects of joining B-School were life-altering. Suddenly, I had hope. The door had opened just a little. I didn't know what lay beyond, but I clung to the hope it was something good. 
It occurred to me that perhaps if I found this Marie Folio chick and signed up for B-School, perhaps there would be someone else either here in Byron or on the Gold Coast who I might be able to connect with. I mean, there were thousands of us in the Facebook group. Surely there'd be one or two in my part of the world. Keep in mind, even though I'd built this amazing co-working space in order to make some like-minded friends, I was still very much alone. I decided to create a local Facebook group for the Byron Gold Coast region. I had this great space that no one was using. Maybe some of those guys would be keen to meet up here. Somewhat surprisingly, there were quite a few local B-School babes. I decided to host a weekly mastermind session for whoever wanted to come each Wednesday night in my boardroom. And even more surprisingly, people came. To this point, I had created shitloads of events, speed networking nights, regular goal-setting workshops, pitch and pizza evenings, and they were all besides one goal-setting workshop, which had three people show up, which I gave tickets away for a total flop. They were all a total flop, not a single show up. Can you imagine what that does to your ego? It's fucking devastating. Devastating. And I'm going to say it one more time for effect. Devastating. I mean, I couldn't even get people to come to free events that include feed. To have my space abuzz with inspiring women was such a fucking relief. Every week, eight to ten of us would meet up in my boardroom, have a tea or coffee and share where we were at. Every week it would come to my turn and I'd cry and they'd listen. Sometimes they'd offer up some well-intentioned advice, but mostly they just listened, held space for me and I'd cry. I still felt totally stressed and depressed and had no idea how I was ever going to make this work, but it was so comforting to have some people around me that had my back. The more vulnerable and truthful I was, the deeper connections I created. This was new to me. I think perhaps I'd had a bit of a barrier up before, a smile plastered on my face when my soul was crying. And when you put on that mask, no one really knows you're struggling and no one can really see you, let alone support or be there for you. Through this mostly online network of B-School babes, I started to make connections. Some were studying to be life coaches. B-School is very much packed full of life, business or health and wellness coaches. And because I shared my struggles regularly, a couple of lovely coaches in training reached out to see if I'd be willing to be their guinea pig. Of course, I took them up on the offer and a good thing too. One rainy wet day, I decided to put a sign up on the office door and come home to work for the afternoon. I'd come to realise that sitting there waiting was not doing my plight any good. Plus, I had my first coaching call with Lisa, and I wasn't up to sitting in the office crying on Skype. I'd rather be in the comfort of my home. As I was rushing in the door, my mobile rang. Before I could look down to see who it was, I'd answered it. Uh Uh-oh. It was the ATO, the Australian tax office, after the $16,000 I owed. And the guy was getting pretty heavy on me. He needed an honour payment as a sign that I was committed to paying my debt. I had about $50 in my bank account and rent was due. I totally lost the plot, started crying hysterically, trying to explain that I was just holding off until tax time when the failed business would balance out the other one. I was a mess, a snotty, ugly, crying mess. All I really remember is me crying so hysterically I almost couldn't breathe. I started heaving and saying on repeat, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. 
I also remember feeling like there was only one way out of this situation, killing myself. There just didn't seem to be any other option. The guy told me to calm down and gave me the number of hardships. I was to call them and see what they could come up with. Maybe they could put a hold on the payments until the end of financial year. And very thankfully, as I hung up the phone to the ATO, Skype started to call. It was Lisa. I can honestly say, had it not happened in that exact time, I'm not sure I'd be here to tell my story. This wasn't the first time I'd considered suicide as an option, but it was the first time I'd really entertained the idea. Poor Lisa. I'm not sure she was ready for me in the condition I was in, but bless her treasured heart, she sure did her best, and what would occur on that call would totally change my life.